Yeah, I did appreciate Steven like hurting his hand when he punched Mark. <laughs> yeah, you put the thumb in, not out, or is it the other way around? <laughs> really? You're gonna give people fighting advice? <laughs> Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams Assemble. Amy, Mm -hmm. episode five of Moon Knight um, gave me a number of urges. I'm afraid to ask what type of urges. All right. Well, first and foremost, thank you, Stephen, for the reminder that it has been far too long since I've been to the batting cages. That's always been an excellent stress release for me. And thank you, Stephen, for mentioning cricket. Ah, yes. They use bats for that, too? Yes, but different types of bats. Okay. Yeah, it's been a while since I took a good swing. Second, despite the fact that it was a terrible game and a colossal waste of $15 in the 90s, I really want to play Hungry Hungry Hippos. You know, I've never actually played that game. You have missed nothing. (laughs) It's over in like 15 seconds. It's fairly pointless. And it breaks really fast. Okay. And lastly, yes, here is your cause for concern. And mine as well. I may need my own psych eval at this point. Because what is my deal with hot men covered in blood? This is a real problem. First it was Frank Castle. Now it's Mark. It goes to show just how well I know you, because while I was sobbing through that episode, I was thinking, I wonder if Chris would find this scene hot. What is wrong with me? Honestly, everybody out there, ladies, gentlemen, whichever, help me out. Did anybody else feel the same way about dying blood covered Mark? Please let me know. Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. Make me feel better. Well, I can say I did not find that attractive, but I can see where you're coming from. I did find him attractive in, in episode two during the transformation. But I just want to say the may need a psyche eval should be changed to I do need a psyche eval. Not for this, but for various other reasons. <laughs> Thank you for the vote of confidence. You're welcome. I am grateful, though, that they kept Oscar Isaac in baggy clothes throughout this episode or I would have felt like a total piece of shit kind of like how I didn't want to find Bucky attractive when he was on the floor Mm -hmm. you know yeah Mm -hmm. I think they kind of did that on purpose because of people like you god damn it (laughs) I hate these moments (laughs) and this is why I'm also going to get harangued by her for the fucking Essex Serpent too I know you guys have seen that trailer. And like I said to my husband, Tom Hiddleston has no business playing that role. But why is he playing that role? Because of people like me. So I can't complain. God damn you, Apple. You see what you do to me. Anyway. (laughs) Apple does that to her. Right. To be fair, I was the one who sent you the trailer as soon as I saw it in my feed. The fuck (laughs) was that doing in my feed? Osmosis. (laughs) but see you enable me as much as anybody so you can't complain 
to go to two episodes ago because I love you. And that's where we have reached. That's the level. Okay. Okay. So, guys, thank you for bearing with us the last few weeks. This show has been very challenging for me from an analytical perspective. It takes me a lot longer than it does Amy to process my thoughts. Uh, because despite how I sound and behave, I am very introverted. <laughs> and I do my processing internally. And that involves a lot of writing. Moon Knight has been like trying to write down my thoughts while riding a skateboard during an earthquake. Riding a skateboard on a ship. Uh, no, because then I would just be vomiting. <laughs> well, that would be on the page. After five episodes, this show has lost me. I am not enjoying where they're taking this. It has been like a jigsaw puzzle in some ways. And not just because my husband and I are about 80% done with our Harry Potter thousand piece jigsaw puzzle fucking finally. Anyway. <laughs> but it's like there's important pieces missing and it's been driving me crazy. And every week with this, I feel like I've been a few steps behind. So today I feel like I'm finally like catching up on my own processing. All right, that's fair. I actually like this episode. Overall, I wouldn't say that Moon Knight has been my favorite show of all the Disney Plus Marvel shows so far. But I quite like this episode. I enjoyed it aside from the abuse angle of that. Oscar Isaac was fantastic in the episode. Yes. I think we need to just record that. Oscar Isaac was fantastic and just use that as our intro because he's that good. Yeah. And he will never not be that good. I do think that Ethan Hawke was great in this episode as well. He was. Yeah, I'm actually quite intrigued to see some of his other performances because he went from cult leader to psychiatrist pretty decently in a span of one episode. Yeah, I agree. I've seen him in things over the years. Not a lot. He's never been a classic leading man. He does more uh, indie stuff. And some kind of weird stuff. I think maybe the biggest thing he he's done was uh, Training Day. Okay. Which I've only seen bits and pieces of because I just can't watch Denzel play a bad guy. I can't do it. <laughs> and I also feel that one of your problems is that you say that things aren't fitting. Like certain pieces are missing. But I feel like that's more by design because Mark himself is very fractured. And he, with Stephen, are in this episode more or less putting those jigsaw pieces together. So Mark slash Stephen are unreliable narrators. There's a difference between what Mark is seeing and what the show presents to us. I don't think we can say stuff is missing due to it being, you know, Mark's consciousness and point of view, because we've seen now that the show itself is omniscient because we know it's real now. We saw Layla getting her passport uh, with that woman from her past. We saw Arthur by himself at the very beginning of the show. The show opened with Arthur. We saw Osiris putting one of the Ushapti in his little serial killer commemorative trophy wall. Yeah, that was Khonshu's Ushapti. Right. So 
we've seen that the show is omniscient in that way. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm going to get more into that as we go. This is going to be another overview episode, guys. The show was impossible to, to go through. Yeah, we can't do this beat by beat. And I think chances are that's what's going to happen in the next episode as well. I see where you're coming from with that, about the show being omniscient. But the main lead being so jumbled up kind of lends to that feeling that we have with the show. That's just what I feel. And that's how I think it makes sense to me. Well, that reminds me. So I had said a couple episodes ago that I can't recall having seen anything quite like what Oscar Isaac is doing here. And I was flipping through my movie library last night and I realized, oh, wait, Krista. Yes, you have. I forgot all about James McAvoy's performance in Glass Mm -hmm. that came out a few years ago. And that's mainly because I was pretty disappointed with the ending of that movie. So I kind of just blocked it out. I need to see that again, though. I need to revisit it. And not just because James McAvoy is fucking fantastic in that movie. That is another uh, DID performance. I can't even remember how many different personalities he goes through in that, but he does a phenomenal job, especially because James McAvoy is such a master of accents. Right. And this episode actually reminded me of Mr. Robot. Okay. Haven't seen it. Yeah. So in Mr. Robot, Rami Malek is a hacker and there's a whole, you know, plot point about that, but he has DID as well. And his identity looks like his father, but is not his father. And his DID manifested through trauma as well. Yeah. And there's one more show I want to recommend. It's not DID, but it's just in terms of the uh, playing off yourself performance. Paul Rudd had a great show, I think last year, uh, Living With Yourself. Yeah. He is absolutely fantastic. A little bit of the story, kind of the, the whole baby through line kind of annoyed me a little bit with the wife, but his performance of that is incredible. I haven't seen it, but it's on my watch list, which is a mile long. Yeah. Yeah, it's excellent. I have Mr. Robot in my library, too. It's just one of the many, probably 50% of our whole library that we'll never watch that my husband just has a problem with collections. I would not recommend you watch that. Wasn't intending to. Rami Malek freaks me out. Not gonna lie. He freaks me right the fuck out. Why? That face. He really weirds me. But I will say he is absolutely fantastic in the show. Everyone in that cast is amazing. So if you're interested in some mindfuckery kind of shows, and that actually represents hacking and technology in a relatively more authentic way than click, 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 click. Oh, I'm in. (laughs) She gets so mad, guys. It's so funny. I do. They actually showed us a Raspberry Pi in that. I got very excited. But if you're interested in something like that, go watch the show. It is amazing. And the last season fucked me up. (laughs) All right. So uh, another big part of my struggle with Moon Knight has been the fact that this is the first Disney Plus show we've gotten with a totally new character. The others have all been characters that we're very familiar with already. But Moon Knight here is starting from scratch. And personally, I needed a lot more foundation 
with a brand new character. The fact that we know nothing about that main lead until halfway through episode five, oh man, that is a major problem. I disagree with that because every character from the time of Iron Man has been new to us when we watch those movies and later on shows. Oh, absolutely. But they got characterization. Mark hasn't. Sure. And the reason why he hasn't got characterization is because of how mentally fucked he is. Here's the thing, though. All right. So I felt very little emotion in this episode because I haven't been able to connect emotionally with Mark at any point without that characterization. There's nothing for me to connect with. And yes, that is part of the point with DID. We discussed that last episode. But number one, the show fails to explain that or address that in any way. And two, they fail to use the supporting cast to create the emotional connection. Think about the conversation we had in regards to Black Widow. In that episode, we talked about how in other movies, you know, a rising tide raises all ships that Scarlett Mm -hmm. Johansson was buoyed by the supporting cast around her. Right. Yes. Because the others were so amazing, her shortcomings did not seem so apparent. That and also because the writers used the rest of the cast to help us build connection to her because she was a very stoic character who didn't necessarily get as much backstory. Most of her backstory comes in uh, Age of Ultron. Which is piddly at best. Right. So I think the problem here is twofold. Number one, the writers failed to use the rest of that cast to build that connection, especially when it comes to Layla. And two, I can't believe I'm saying this considering Hawkeye exists, but I think this is the weakest supporting cast of any of the Disney Plus shows. And that is not a knock against Ethan Hawke and Mae Kalamawi. It's a knock against the writers. Yeah, because this is essentially the Oscar Isaac show. Nobody else has an opportunity to shine because he's just so bright. It's like looking at the sun. You can't see the stars during daylight because the sun is so bright. But that's also something the writers need to deal with. They're the ones with the script putting too much of the show on his shoulders. And don't get me wrong. And they are very strong shoulders. Don't get me wrong. And I do not mean that sexually. Whatever makes you happy. But there's just not enough story support and enough characterization for him to carry it. And, you know, to that point, we still haven't met that, that Duchamp either. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to meet him or not, or if it was just a tease for comic fans. I got to tell you, there's a lot of comic fans pissed right now. Yeah, I'm also confused about the Jake Lockley situation. But let's see what happens next episode. And I also think that in all the other shows, we've had, aside from the main characters, we also have a lot of very well-established actors who are good at what they do and are able to take the little bit that they get and run with it, like Rachel McAdams or Vera Formiga from Hawkeye. They are so good at what they do that they're able to bring a lot of depth to their characters with very little. And in Moon Knight, 
Ethan Hawke, he's he's an experienced actor, but I haven't seen anything else that he's been in. So I can't comment on his talent and make Kalamawi, as well as the other characters that we have that are basically their namesake. They're not as established as the others have been. So perhaps that is playing a part in it too. They're not as experienced. Whereas Conchu, Mr. Abraham, he's fantastic as Conchu, even though he's completely CGI and we only hear his voice. Mm -hmm. So to your point of the show having that split, I agree. It feels as fractured as Mark's mind. It's half a show about mental illness and it's half the mummy. But in terms of the story and structure, it's like these aspects are completely separate from each other. When in order to be effective, I think they needed to be much more blended. And I do get the irony of that. And (laughs) I don't know if this is the writers and director trying to be too damn clever or if it's just poor planning and story structure. So here's what I mean. Up until the last five minutes of episode four, this felt like a show about mental illness that wasn't talking about mental illness. Mark not addressing it was one thing. That's that was fine in terms of how DID works. But Layla never addressing it in episode three. I finally figured out that's what was really bothering me. Forget about the relationship stuff. That was fine. We, we can table that. That's fine. But what didn't feel realistic is that as far as the DID went, Layla just rolled with it far too easily. She never asks any questions. And I mean, this is a man you were married to. This is a man you had, no matter how intimate it was or wasn't, this is a man you had a long-term relationship with. At the very least, just as a person, you'd be asking some questions just to know how to deal with the whole dynamic of this condition so you have the best chance of survival in this situation. It's not like she's met a hundred people in her life with DID. How many people come across somebody, you know, and have prolonged interactions and have to face a major challenge with somebody actively experiencing breaks in their psyche? Yeah, I'll agree with you that the DID stuff, along with the superheroing that's going on, In fact, in this particular episode, when we go back out into the ship and we start dealing with the balancing of the scales and the dead guys coming in and fighting and all that, I was disappointed because I wanted to delve more into Mark's backstory and flashbacks and all of that. And with Layla, yes, I do think that she went along with it very easily. That is basically just to keep the plot moving, you know, roll with the punches. One could say that in MCU land, people have seen weirder. So what's a good old mental illness? And I remember I did comment on the fact that when when Layla was interacting with Stephen, she was very nice to him and she treated him like a different person. So it almost seems like she knows how to deal with someone who is experiencing a break. There's absolutely nothing to support that theory of mine, but it does seem like she is dealing with two different people, the way she's behaving with them. It's also a very difficult situation because she's looking at her husband. It's a complicated thing. Absolutely. It is a complicated thing. 
So for her to see her husband, to know him as Mark, to look at this face and know Mark and then talk to him as Stephen, it is a total mindfuck for Layla. And she's handling it amazingly. How? I don't know. And that is not being explained by the writers, which, which I get, because they're just moving the plot along. This is kind of like plot armor, where Layla goes along with it, where usually plot armor is generally the main character doesn't die. Yeah, and I don't like the way it makes Layla look. I really don't. Okay. And, you know, we're five episodes in here. We're almost done with the show that is not getting a second season. We literally have not seen or heard the words dissociative identity disorder or multiple personalities. We haven't even seen it in a file or on a screen, something, because there's no backstory till halfway through this episode on Mark. And it is especially problematic because we are shown in this episode that not only has Mark been aware of the DID for decades, but he knows the moment it manifested. And I don't know if he should. Yeah, the term DID or multiple personality disorder has been sort of this elephant in the room that nobody's addressing. I agree. I cannot comment on Mark knowing when his DID manifested or if he's aware of it, or how much in control he is, that is something that a psychologist would be able to tell us more about. Well, see, that's the thing, because the episode certainly makes it look like Mark knows exactly when it happened. He did not want Stephen to go in that door. He knew exactly what Stephen was going to say. Yeah. And the way he talks to Stephen, but, but why are you so mad at me? You had a great life. Like, as if Mark knew this was going to happen eventually, it makes it sound like he had control over Stephen, over what Stephen did and experienced. That the writers make it sound like a deliberate choice to give Stephen this nice life. And I can't get behind that. Young Mark would not have understood or known what was happening here. Sure. Young Mark would not have understood and known what was happening here. But we don't know when did older Mark realize what was happening or if he just kind of went with the flow. And Mark is extremely protective of Stephen. For him, I think, yes, Stephen is a coping mechanism, but it's also him protecting himself. There's all this thing about, you know, healing your inner child. This seems to be like a physical manifestation of that. And at the end of the day, this is fiction. It is not going to be 100% accurate. So the control aspect of it, while it seems like it in the show, we don't know if that is possible in real life, but I'm giving it leeway because I don't know better. It's like the hacking stuff, you know? Someone like you would not know better and you'd say, okay, fine. But because I know better, it pisses me off. And I'm sure any other psychologists and counselors and therapists out there watching the show may be banging their heads against the wall because of how terrible it may be. We wouldn't know. Well, 
you know, like you compared it to hacking. I think when it comes to mental illness, when it comes to there being real people in the real world who suffer from this, I think you need to make more of a damn effort. Yes, I agree. And here's what the other part where I think they flubbed on this. When Stephen took over at the moment that young Mark was sitting on the floor there, he remains Stephen then when his mother comes in and does what she does. So I was confused because I'm like, wait a minute. He was Stephen in that moment. So shouldn't Stephen remember this? Shouldn't Stephen have this memory? Yeah, that was not very clearly portrayed. I agree with you there. I do think that we did see the moment of Stephen's quote-unquote birth. Mm -hmm. But as soon as his mom entered the room and he stopped playing with his pencils, Stephen was gone and it was Mark who took the beating. Otherwise, Stephen would have absolutely remembered that. So, again, not a psychologist, know nothing about DID in any way. Generally, what we hear is that altars are there to protect the main personality. In this case, it's kind of the opposite where Stephen is Mark's escape. Mark is protecting Stephen so that at least he can have a better life. I tend to agree with you. If that's the case, though, they needed to show it better. Yes. It also reminded me a lot of like sibling relationships in an abusive family where an older sibling tends to protect a younger sibling from their abusive parent. Yeah. And in Mark's case, he doesn't have that younger sibling anymore. So Stephen may have been a stand in for that as well, in a way. Yes, exactly. Stephen is a combination of his younger brother and his escape. Yeah. And we want to make it really clear just how complicated a disorder DID is. There is not even full agreement in the psychological community that it exists. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like I've compared it to like the fibromyalgia of mental health. Right. Fibromyalgia tends to be a catch-all diagnosis that lazy doctors assign to women when they don't want to look harder to figure out what's actually wrong with them. Mm -hmm. I, along with every woman who has lupus, <laughs> you know, was diagnosed with that at one point in my life. So there's only so much research we can do on it, which we've done, you know, without actually speaking to a psychologist about this. And that's the thing is, like with fibromyalgia, every psychologist has a different take on it, you know, has a different idea because it's not something that they come upon a whole lot. It's difficult to diagnose and measure and evaluate. So I understand that there's a steep learning curve in terms of a fictional show, but I don't think they put nearly enough. And I will get into more why after a word from the Mouse and Weens podcast. Hi, this is Mouse. I'm Weens. <laughs> we have the Mouse and Weens podcast. I'm the mom that lives in suburbia with three kids. I'm alone. <laughs> She's the hot Hollywood cat lady. <laughs> and we have a fun podcast where we talk about life, love, and loneliness <laughs> pubic hair come oh, on I'm sorry we hope you come take a listen to us we're on all the platforms and we will see you soon i have pms <laughs> you guys know that amy and i are very different people 
One of the greatest challenges in building our business has been overcoming our contrasting relationship with technology. That's a nice way of saying Amy has a silicon thumb, while I can break a computer just by looking at it sideways. And we know many of you fall into one of these camps, so we're here to tell you about one of our favorite products using a bilingual approach. Take it away, Amy. Backblaze is a cloud-based backup solution for all your data storage needs. Backblaze is a kind of digital safe where you can protect your photos, home videos, and important documents from things like fire, floods, or people like me who can delete their entire business from Google Drive without even knowing it. With its simple user interface and smooth setup, Backblaze is accessible to everyone. Backblaze is easy enough for Luddites like me to use without breaking anything. Use the link in our show notes to get a 15-day free trial of Backblaze and help support the marvelous madams. You get two weeks free before you buy, and we get money too. When it comes to data, they have your back. So these flashbacks we got with young Mark and his family, I needed to get these a lot sooner. If I had seen these a while ago, seen all that happen, I would have been able to have some kind of emotional connection with older Mark, our Mark. And because the show is omniscient, they could have shown this to us in a way that didn't require Stephen knowing about it like they did here. That's fair. But for me, it doesn't matter when we saw this because seeing Mark and seeing what he went through was like looking in a mirror. And I have briefly in our Daredevil series alluded to the fact that I do not like Stick because he reminds me a lot of my mom. This episode was like a flashback for me, aside from the physical abuse. So I really understand where Mark is coming from now. And I really do understand why he is the way he is, keeping aside the DID stuff. And another thing that I want to speak about is that, so after Chris and I spoke about this episode, I had I actually liked this episode and she was not quite so happy, clearly, as you can hear. I actually went online just to get a feel of what people were saying about the show and whether, whether people were liking it or not. Generally, I don't do that. I like to stay in a bubble and not be influenced by other people's thoughts. Yeah, we both agree on that. Yeah. And I kept seeing variations of this sentiment that, oh, I sympathize with Mark's father and I understand he was trying to do his best, but I draw the line at physical abuse. Or he should have left his wife and taken his child away from her because she was beating him and similar things. And we all speak about physical abuse and sexual abuse and how horrible it is. It absolutely is horrible. No denying that. Nobody can argue that it is a horrible thing to experience whether you're a child or an adult. But a lot of people do not speak about or do, or do not even acknowledge emotional abuse. I personally was blamed for my father's illness and subsequent death. Since I can remember, I have lived with the guilt of his illness and death and that I needed to justify being alive. 
And that is something that can fuck you up. So for Mark, keeping the physical abuse aside as well, as an adult, he would have been completely fucked up. And society as a whole still today does say that, oh, mental illness is something that you can just get over. Go get some sunlight or take a walk or get over it, you know, toughen up, stop thinking about it, things like that. But you would never tell someone who's fractured their leg, oh, just take a walk. You know, you don't need pain medication, get some sunlight, you'll be fine. So just the way people do that, and things are getting better now, thanks to people being more vocal about it and general awareness increasing about mental illness, things are getting slightly better. But when it comes to emotional abuse, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to acknowledge it because the scars, the wounds are not visible. It's not tangible. And I believe that it can be as hurtful and as damaging as physical and sexual abuse. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. I found the father to be just as deplorable as the mother. Like, look, guys, I cannot imagine what it's like to lose a child. I can't imagine anything worse. But my sympathy only extends so far, especially when there is another child involved. Clearly, Mark was an innocent child. This was not his fault or his responsibility. And, you know, what the mother is also feeling, she's projecting that rage outward, but it's really, Mm -hmm. she's blaming herself, but projecting it onto Mark. She can't deal with blaming herself because she refuses to take that on. She was the one who was supposed to protect her kids. And I'm not blaming her. It was a freak accident. Shit happens. Awful things happen sometimes. Yeah, true. And from the flashbacks, we see that the first birthday that we see with Mark after his brother's death, I counted the candles. He was nine. Yeah, so did I. So he was probably eight or younger when that happened. And letting two young kids, an eight-year-old and probably a five or six-year-old, to go and play in a cave alone? That's assuming she knew where they were going. The 80s were a different time. Kids had a lot more freedom back then. All right, that's fair. But still, you can't blame an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old child for something like this. Of course not. Of course not. And at no point does the mother get her shit together, take responsibility for her behavior. She vilifies this poor baby. And Mm -hmm. the father fails to protect him at every turn. Fuck the physical abuse. Take that kid away from her for the emotional abuse. Even if there's no physical abuse present, like you were saying, get that kid out of there if she refuses to get help. And it's doubly worse for me because so in the comics, Elias Spector here is a rabbi. So not only is he a failure here as a parent, but it's literally his job to counsel and guide people through difficult times. So he's also failing in a very spiritual way that he takes very seriously. Yes, absolutely. But the fact that he is sort of like this community leader would discourage him from either leaving his wife or ensuring that she gets the help that she needs. Because again, you know, 
in super religious thinking and again in those times it would be considered a moral failure on his part that he wasn't able to a take care of his wife or b he couldn't be with her during a difficult period in their lives i'm not saying that that's an excuse absolutely not he should have absolutely done what needed to be done to protect his children and get his wife some help because yes she's abusive she's a horrible human being for the way she's behaving with mark but she's suffering too and she needed help yeah he did fail both of them in that way mhm okay so sticking with young mark here for a minute the way steven was created it makes total sense as far as the did goes that is solid that's often how the split works like we said defense mechanism, protector, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. So it works for the DID, but Stephen's birth, as we call it, I don't think it works for the character of Mark Spector. And this is one of the reasons that I was so frustrated with the timeline that I so badly wanted to know when Mark developed this illness. I find it absolutely impossible to believe that Mark could have even gotten through Marine basic training without some sort of breakdown or major issue with Stephen. Military basic training, especially Marine basic training, it is the toughest and longest of all the branches, okay? There is no standardized basic training. It's different for each branch. Navy is seven weeks, Air Force is about eight and a half, Army is 10, and Marines is 13 weeks. It is one of the most stressful experiences a person can go through, and it is literally designed to shatter a person's sense of self, strip them of their identity, and then build them back up into a soldier, Marine, sailor, airman. And I mean, I've witnessed this firsthand. My husband is one of the calmest, most level-headed, unemotional people you will ever meet. And that's one of the reasons I love him. He has been my rock through a lot of tough times for the last 12 years. I have seen him break down and cry exactly one time. And that was when he graduated from basic training. And we were allowed to leave the base and get to our hotel. He sat on the bed and for about two minutes, he just cried. I mean, I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but like I said, 12 years, only time. And he also witnessed a lot when he was in uh, what's called med hold within the Air Force. So a couple of weeks in, he broke his wrist doing like pugil stick fighting with somebody else. And he got stuck there, I want to say for like six weeks. And he's only recently, like within the last few weeks, told me about this, that he witnessed some crazy shit there of people having breakdowns like 18-year-old kids who had enlisted, who had literally never spent away, a night away from their mothers and couldn't handle it and just were having total breakdowns because they, because they could not handle the stress of BMT. So I can't believe that Mark could have gotten through it. No way. And this is where I think that the introduction of Jake Lockley would have been perfect. That is an excellent point. It's been teased before. We don't know if anything's going to come of it. 
especially after the last scene yeah of this episode i don't know but this would have been perfect for jake lockley i mean stephen grant has been changed a lot from the comics as well so why not make lockley something else than just a taxi driver yeah excellent point so it's time we also talk about another elephant in the room and that is race so this didn't strike me earlier because Conchu's accent is very neutral. I couldn't figure out whether it would be considered an English accent or an American accent. Yeah, it's more like a Fraser Crane, highbrow, mid-Atlantic type of thing that F. Marie Abraham has given us. Mm-hmm. But with Towerette, it is very, very obvious she has an English accent. She's adorable. She's amazing. I love her. I know the name is real. Like, I know the name is from real Egyptian history and mythology. But the fact that it has et at the end, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it sounds like a cutesy little girl thing. Tower et, you know? (laughs) She kind of is like that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, if Thor had a daughter, I imagine they would call her Thorette. You know, that kind of thing. Uh Uh-huh. She's fantastic. But her English accent kind of rubbed me the wrong way. because. Both Khonshu and Towerette and all the other gods that have been mentioned in the show are Egyptian gods. They will not be having a posh English accent in the afterlife or the duad or wherever they are. They would have a more African lilt to the way they speak. And another thing that also I remember reading was that when Chadwick Boseman was initially signed on as Black Panther and he was in Civil War and later on, he he already knew that he's going to be doing Black Panther and he's going to be in Wakanda. Marvel told him that he needs to do an English accent in Civil War. And he resisted that and he insisted that he's going to do an African accent because how is he going to explain having an English accent in Wakanda? Of course. Either he would be the only person speaking in an English accent, which is weird, or an entire African nation is speaking in an English accent, which makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, for something like Thor, it was fine when people were like, well, they should sound Scandinavian. It's fine. They're all white people. Whatever. But you can't do that to African people. No. So this feels a lot like whitewashing but not visually but more in an audio way yeah if i remember correctly i could be wrong the marvel execs had told chadwick Boseman to do that to have an english accent so that it's easier for people to understand but i don't hear any complaints of chadwick Boseman's accent in both the movies no none Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of the mentality going in or the justification going in for this. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. I've honestly had more, I've honestly had more difficulty, you know, watching like Peaky Blinders and those accents than I ever had (laughs) watching Black Panther. Are you freaking kidding me? Mm -hmm. Have you heard Welsh people talk? Anyway. It takes a minute to get used to, yes. Now, you just mentioned uh, whitewashing. So, 
we don't have that here. We have something. Normally we do see whitewashing of ethnic characters, but but in meeting Mark's family, we kind of have not the opposite. We've got something weird going on here, people. Okay, so let's just dig into this shit. <laughs> All right. So for those who are not aware, Oscar Isaac's full name is Oscar Isaac Hernandez. He is Latino and he's playing a white guy. So he is light skinned. He does not look classically Latino. And Oscar Isaac has one of those faces where he can pass for a lot of ethnicities. Yeah, I did not know he was Latino in any way. Yeah. Now, normally, I wouldn't have a problem with this. It's actually refreshing in a way, you know? And it gets a little complicated because some Latino people, like my husband, consider themselves white. My husband grew up in a Spanish-speaking home in a Hispanic enclave, and yet he still considers himself white. So it's, it's very interesting. But the thing is, we have like eight-year-old Mark here who is noticeably darker than Oscar Isaac and clearly Latino. Yeah, and teen Mark also looks nothing like Oscar Isaac. Yeah, and is clearly Latino. Yeah, I don't think they did a very good job trying to find baby Oscar Isaacs. Yes. So the woman playing his mother is Latina, and I'm fairly certain Ray Lucas, the guy playing his father, R-E-Y Lucas, is also Latino. Now, I kind of feel like Jewish people have a reasonable bone to pick here. Yeah, this is difficult for me to speak about because I am not American. I am not culturally familiar with Jewish people or many Hispanic people. So I can't really comment on this. Yeah, it's a tough thing because we talk about white privilege in this country. But I mean, there's no group of people that have been persecuted more than the Jewish people, you know? So it's a separate classification in my book. So I feel like they have a right to be kind of upset about representation here. In a way, the show has acknowledged and respected Oscar Isaac's heritage by choosing to have Latino children play younger versions of him. But at the same time, we know Mark Spector is Jewish and we see that in this episode with the Shiva and with the Yamaka, but none of the actors are actually Jewish. Yes, and I do want to acknowledge that there is a difference between ethnicity and religion. Absolutely. A person can, in theory, be Latino and be Jewish, but that is very rare, uh, especially Chicago in the 80s. That wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, and again, that is something that I wouldn't know either way. Yeah. So if you're listening and you are Jewish, please let us know, either email or on social media, let us know how you feel about this. Okay. So now I want to get into my biggest problem with this episode. Oh, you mean these were the small problems? Yes. The more I think about this one, the more pissed off I get. Mm -hmm. And it's about the whole resolution of balancing these scales. You do not resolve an illness as serious and as complicated as dissociative identity disorder 
with a quick goodwill hunting moment. And that is exactly how it's made to look with Mark Scales balancing and him being able to let Stephen go after Stephen gives him a quick, it wasn't your fault. Nothing has implied that Mark is cured. The scales balanced and he let Stephen go. If that wasn't movie language for everything's good, I don't know what is. The scales balanced after Stephen died, but Mark did not let him go. Oh, I think he did. I think that's the only way Stephen could have died. That's the whole point. No, Stephen died because he fell over. But Stephen is Mark. This was Mark's projection all along. He faced that drama. He opened that door and Stephen told him, it wasn't your fault. Yes, that part, yes, he told him it wasn't your fault. I don't think Mark is ready to accept that. But everything that happened on the boat, yes, Stephen and Mark are the same people, but they're in physically different bodies. No, it's the afterlife, though. It's a projection. It's a projection, but they are tangible. They are being able to interact with things, with themselves. They're able to touch each other, hug each other. Yeah, but like I said, since it's the afterlife, I don't really see that as making a difference. I think it makes a difference. And I don't think Mark has let Stephen go. I do think Stephen is going to come back for sure. Really? Yeah. Next episode, Stephen is going to come back in some way. Because... Presumably, in the next episode, Mark will come back to life with Conchu's help. He will heal. Stephen will still be there because everything that has happened so far is in the afterlife. But his mental illness is still his mental illness once he comes back to life, once he's back in his own physical form. Stephen will be back or Jake Lockley will take his place. I don't know. But either way, Mark has not let Stephen go. And the way he's been so protective of Stephen, absolutely not. I want to believe you and I want to agree with you, but I think you're giving the show more credit than it deserves. Because we've already talked about how they are sacrificing characterization and other things for the sake of moving this plot forward. And that's what I was seeing here. A quick. It, it wasn't your fault cop out. Oh, scales are balanced. Movie language for, okay, we've resolved this. And I saw this as a cop out and a disservice to people with mental illness and all the hard work they have to do to live with it, to try and get well if they ever do. I mean, because the point of this episode, right, is for Mark to face his shit to deal with it, you know, confront the trauma, open that door. And this show isn't getting a second season. We know we're going to see him again in the MCU. We're not sure how prominently, but this sure looks like a quick resolution to me. I don't think so. And we will know either way next week. I don't think Stephen is going anywhere. I feel like Stephen helping Mark and then falling over 
was him protecting Mark the way Mark has been protecting him all this time. While I do say that, yes, they're doing things to move the plot forward, the next episode is not going to deal with the internal for Mark. It is going to be very plot-based, but Stephen is going to show up. Well, I have two questions for you in Mm -hmm. regard to this. So one is the Jake Lockley question. Mm -hmm. How are Mark's scales balancing if he hasn't even been aware of Jake? I don't know. Big problem. Yeah, and that is confusing. We've been getting hints of Jake Lockley, but suddenly with the scales balancing when Stephen is not on the ship when he's dead means either there's no other altar there or Jake Lockley knows everything and that's why the scales are balanced. Either way, I don't know whether he's also even there or not, if it was just a tease to get us riled up for it to lead to nothing, I don't know. Yeah, so Jake Lockley is third like psychopathic alter in the comics and we purposely haven't said his name to this point because we know that some of you guys listening have read the comics, some of you have not. So we didn't want to spoil that in any way, but at this point we've got to because what the hell? And the last time in the first episode when I was going to say Conchu's name, Chris almost bit my head off because spoilers. Yes, we want to be fair because we are not gatekeepers. We are accessible. Yeah, but in my case, I saw it in the subtitles. Yes, and not everybody looks at subtitles. Stop it. I'm going to ban you from subtitles. Hey, I want subtitles so that I can process easier, okay? So second question, mm-hmm. uh, this Temple of Doom shit here that Tarawa does pulling their hearts out of their chests, why did she weigh the hearts together? That was confusing for me also because she was like, oh, are you guys twins? She doesn't know about the DID. She sees two separate people. So mm-hmm. why wouldn't she weigh them one at a time? I don't know. They should have explained that better. But I don't know why they put it together. Maybe she figured out it is the one person. There's just too many maybes, too many assumptions, Mm -hmm. too much missing. Mm -hmm. But don't get on to her case, okay? She's lovely. (laughs) You so want her to be real. (laughs) I do. I would hug her and speak to her all day. I could do with a good hug right now. Did you notice when she was excited or confused or anything, like when she had any kind of emotion, her little ears would flip? No, I didn't. Watch it. It's amazing. She's amazing. I love her. I mean, poor thing. I felt for her. I was a tour guide in college. I know how hard it can be, especially, you know, when people ask you questions you're not prepared for. (laughs) You don't have a card for that. Yeah, I mean, she has, you know, these two guys that know a little too much for their own good. I had trashy mothers from Staten Island getting in my face. You know, we all have our different challenges. <laughs> and also, it's been a while for her, right? Not many people have come to the Egyptian afterlife after all the gods have, you know, fucked off to their own dimension or whatever. Yeah, she's rusty. Yeah. So, chill. Maybe she forgot that she's not supposed to weigh them together. 
Okay, so let's talk about this ending, this sea of reeds. Not a paradise to me, nor to you, really. But okay. Yeah, Mark was looking a bit too sweaty for my liking, considering it's so fucking hot right now for me. (laughs) Oh, he can sweat all he wants. Anyway, obviously, Mark is going to come back to life somehow. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what this ending means. Are we going to see him have to make the choice between paradise and going back to the living world? Because I got to tell you, I do not like the potential of this. The idea that he could choose to go back just to rescue the woman. Yeah, I don't know. And there is a possibility that it could just be a fake out. We've heard of the field of reeds. Maybe this is the field heading to the real world. It could have been a fake out. Or it could have been the field of reeds. Well, you know what bugs me too is I was just starting last episode to come around to Layla a little bit. To kind of like her and connect with her. And it took her out of the goddamn episode. Yeah, hopefully by the time we get back to her, she's not hanging off another cliff. Yeah, there has to be some limit to her upper body strength. Yeah, I'm a bit worried for her. It hurt just watching her do that. I felt like my shoulders were coming out of their sockets. (laughs) I also think it's significant that Osiris's gate is the only path out because he seemed to be Mm -hmm. the ringleader of uh, that whole Ennead circus. And the fact that Arthur is buddy-buddy with Osiris's avatar is a bit iffy. So I don't know whether it's going to be a struggle for Mark to get back or not. And they couldn't get a message across to Layla. Maybe Towerette does that later on. I don't know how will they able to wrap everything up for the final episode. I It's definitely going to be rushed unless they've, you know fooled us and made it a two-hour episode i don't think so yeah and this seems to be following the trend with a lot of the other disney plus shows where everything is fine and dandy for the first four or five episodes and then the sixth episode is just a rush to get everything to just get the plot sorted out yeah hawkeye was a mess in that way wandavision was uh guilty of that falcon and the winter soldier i was very happy um, with the ending as I was with Loki. Loki was the ultimate, oh fuck, and such a great cliffhanger. Yeah, I think Falcon and the Winter Soldier was better paced than WandaVision and seemingly Moon Knight. Yes. Loki was pretty good too. And I think there's another thread to deal with too, is that Mark still doesn't recognize that Khonshu took advantage of him. He still like defends Khonshu and Steven was trying to get it into his head like, no, dude, he's a bad guy. And, you know, this makes sense for Mark to act this way. He's basically like still under the thumb of an abusive parent. He's continuing that pattern. So I feel like, okay, they're going to resolve this somehow. But at the same time, he has to stay Moon Knight to stick around in phase four. So I'm not sure how that's all going to work. I have major Hawkeye fear. Yeah, exactly. We can't have... Mark completely going off Khonshu because then there's no Moon Knight and what's the point of the show? I mean, it's a good show. I mean, I wouldn't say what's the point, but still. I might be saying what's the point by the end of the finale. 
honestly. I still have a little bit of hope. I do know it's not going to be the most amazing finale ever, but I don't think it's going to be absolutely terrible either. Well, at least we know for sure, since this is Egypt, Oscar Isaac will not get stuck in a Christmas tree. (laughs) He might get stuck on a pyramid or in a pyramid. In, yes. I don't know how one would get stuck on a pyramid. Osiris could just throw him onto a pyramid and he'd be stuck on top. Can he just slide down? No, it's big, huge steps. He'd have to jump down. Well, then he would jump down. That's no different from Clint not being able to get down from that stupid tree. (laughs) You're a superhero. (laughs) Yeah, Hawkeye, I feel like the last episode they realized, oh, this is supposed to be a Christmas episode, you know, light and funny. And they suddenly just changed the tone because the first two episodes, at least, were quite heavy and dealing with Clint and his survivor's guilt and all of that. I think if they would have stayed with that, it would have been nicer. But at the end of the day, it is Marvel. It is Disney. It's supposed to be entertainment blockbuster and was supposed to be a feel good Christmassy thing. They kind of forgot about that and went too deep. I don't want to revisit it, and I have chosen to ignore your earlier comment about Vera Farmiga's character having depth. Anyway. (laughs) All right, so we have a few people we want to mention this week. So I had asked some questions out there on the Twitterverse this past week and got some amazing answers. Nicole Woland. I never knew that in the UK they call gummy bears jelly bears. I like this. And I am saying jelly bears from now on because it sounds super gross. I thought they were jelly beans. Jelly beans are a different kind of candy entirely. I see. All right. This makes so much sense to me now. I have watched the Great British Baking Show for years and not understood what they always meant by jellies. And now I get it. Jelly means a different thing to them than it does to us. Yeah, jam and jelly also is a very different thing by American and UK depending on who's speaking. Yes, and once the new season starts, I'm going to have to once again look up what the hell Claggy and Stodgy mean. Every season. (laughs) Could you let me know too? Because I'm curious now. Even (laughs) though I've never watched a single minute of the Great British Baking Show. You would fucking love that show. What are you even doing with your life? And thank you everyone for all the nice things that you guys have said about my needlework. I was certainly not expecting that. Thank you very much. I had to tell her, let me post this because people will like this. These are things other humans Mm. do. Mm. Let people see the nice things you create. It is not nice. You see what I deal with people? At T10 (laughs) Alarm Clock, thank you so much for introducing me to, all right, get this straight, Marks and Spencer's Percy Pig and Pals. If I ever go to the UK, I am hunting down this shop. Marks and Spencer's is a very popular departmental store. Okay. You've never heard of this before? No. I don't know what Percy Pig and Pals are, but I do know Marks and Spencer's. Candies. Candies shaped like piggies and pals. Oh, I see. Okay. Reminded me of Garfield and Friends. Rachel Miller. You're right about Layla's core strength. Unlike Stephen, she knows how to actually use the body she's worked hard for. Yeah, I did appreciate Steven, like, hurting his hand when he punched Mark. (laughs) Yeah, you put the thumb 
in, not out, or is it the other way around? I don't know. <laughs> really? You're going to give people fighting advice? <laughs> That's why I said I don't know. I'm saying that. I'm I'm clarifying that. That would be like me giving people tips and tricks for their first visit to a tanning salon. Oh my god, I can Oh no, that's a I did not need that visual. <laughs> oh my god. I can smell the cooked meat. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I'm imagining you as a rotisserie chicken right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it would be. Yeah. So I asked people uh, to share their feelings about Stephen and Layla's kiss, which now seems fairly superfluous, in uh, five <laughs> words or less. And Becca Jackman, you win with, that could have gone better. <laughs> that could have. Yes, it could have. But not for Stevens. For Stephen, that was the perfect best kiss ever. Because it's the only kiss ever. Yeah. And a lot of you were kind enough to offer your wrong answers only suggestions to who is in that third sarcophagus <laughs> trying to get out. Speaking of superfluous, Jamie, you made me spit out my raspberry leaf tea with your perfect response of Mephisto. <laughs> How the hell did we miss that one? Oh my God, what if it actually is? <laughs> Don't start. Don't you start. <laughs> If it actually does turn out to be Mephisto, we will definitely need a psyche valve. <laughs> and we also want to thank everyone who is supporting the Marvelous Madams on Patreon. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed Crimson Peak. And our second Marvelish movie for the month of May will be dropping on Thursday, May 5th. Yes, our second movie is Sherlock Holmes, starring Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law and Rachel McAdams. Yeah, that was a fun episode to record, more so for Chris than for me, because I was just ranting. Yeah, yeah, it had some issues. If you guys are fans of Sherlock in any form, you'll enjoy this, because we brought in everything. The Conan Doyle books and the different shows, all iterations of, uh, of Sherlock, including the movies. So that's for May 5th. If you want access to that, just click on the link in our show notes. It'll take you to our Patreon. And for $5 a month, you will have access to Crimson Peak, Sherlock Holmes, and all subsequent Marvelish movies. Yep. And lastly, so we are getting to that time, everybody. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is almost here. Indeed. So since we are not just professional podcasters, but we are also fans, we will be going on social media blackout starting Wednesday, May 4th. Yeah, and this is not only for Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. It's also because we are taking a season break after the Moon Knight finale. And we also don't want to get spoiled with Multiverse of Madness. Yes, so you guys will get the Moon Knight finale episode next week. But then we will take a two-week break and we will kick off season five and new episodes starting Monday, May 30th. Yeah, we need some time to recover, put our brains back in our bodies after Moon Knight and Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, and also just generally, guys, we've been busting our asses for the last few months as we work to expand the show for you guys and level up our business and our content. I haven't had a vacation in 12 years. We're going to North Carolina for four days. 
and we're acting like it's a month in Rome. <laughs> That's how my husband and I feel. I haven't spent more than two nights away from dog duty in nine years. And that's D-U-T-Y and D-O-O-D-Y. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I may be traveling too just for a bit, but let's see how things work out. Yes, but don't worry, guys. We will be back on Twitter after that week of radio silence, and we will want to talk to all of you about Moon Knight, about Doctor Strange, all of it. And I think... We might have a couple things to say, you know. Yes, and please, please, please talk to her. Otherwise, she's going to talk my ear off. <laughs> but I'm so quiet. Whatever makes you happy. That's the funny thing is, like, I really am. <laughs> but I'm weird. I'm weird, guys. <laughs> I really am. The first true statement you have said about yourself. Put it this way, I am the loudest quiet person you will ever meet. How's that? Okay, I can agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. Join us next week for the Moon Knight finale. Yay! Once more, with some more energy. Yay! Okay, now I burst my eardrums. In the meantime, come chat with us on Twitter and Instagram at Marvel Madams. And remember, guys, make your presence known because there's only one spot left for our special roundtable discussion episode. And for more content and our blog, check out our website, themarvelousmadams.com, where Infinity Stones are a girl's best friend. come from i don't know my god <laughs> am i morphing into a dragon jesus christ <laughs> are you okay you scared me yeah